Welcome to Transforming Lives with Michael Carter, pastor of The Life Church. The Life Church is a place where you'll enjoy interactive dynamic worship, prayer, and a very practical, down-to-earth yet spiritual message. Our service times are Sunday morning at 10 a.m. and Wednesday night reboot at 6.45 p.m. Visit us at mychurchlife.org or on Facebook. Just search My Church Life and look for The Life Church. Now, let's join Pastor Mike. This morning, we are in a series called Grow, and we're actually going to finish up that series today, all right? And uh, we've been exploring the subject of spiritual growth, and we've talked about how God wants all of us, no matter who you are, where you are in your walk, to grow. He wants you to grow. Now, many of us, I would even venture to say most of us, have that desire to be what God desires us to be. Uh, we want to be all that God wants us to be. And we know that a healthy soul is important to sustaining our growth. A uh, healthy mental state is important, as well as a healthy body is important uh, to growing, right? And so, you know, in this series, we've dealt with sin. We dealt with that pretty um, good. We dive deep into sin, even for a couple of weeks there. And uh, the reason um, we dealt with that so much is because I, I said it, and I'll continue to say it, is sin is not your friend. And listen to me, the reason why that's so repetitive, and I keep repeating that, is because, um, you know, sin, your enemy is going to continue to bring it. He's not going to stop. Your enemy is relentless. And I want to tell you something else. You may not believe this, but your flesh is relentless. You have to live with yourself. <laughs> Your flesh is relentless. It will just continue to bombard you with temptation and with those things that will bring you down. Therefore, we must bombard ourselves with the word of God. We must always have reminders about that, okay? And then last week, we dealt with our emotional world. We talked about how God created our emotions, and he didn't take those emotions from us when we were saved. He didn't nail those emotions to the cross. They're still with us, but those emotions he wants to use in us for his glory, right? He wants to, he wants to transform our emotional world that it will be used for his glory. And I just want to hone in for a few minutes this morning on an emotion that I believe will negatively affect us, all right? And it is paramount that we get control of this emotion to our health, to our spiritual health, and I would even say to your physical health. It's important. And that emotion is anger. It's anger, right? It's a strong emotion. It's a real emotion. And all of us deal with it at one time or another. We deal with it in different ways. Some lash out, some are very external, some is very internal, which is not good either. It, that's undealt with. We must deal with this emotion. So in order for us to grow, in order for us to be what God wants us to be in every area of our life, God promises us, us that if we follow his plan, if we follow what he's laid out for us, we will absolutely grow. And there's nothing that will stop us from growing. 
And we see that here in the scripture, in this declaration that David made. This is our base scripture for the series, uh, Psalms 92. So if you have your Bible there, you have another device where you can get to it, turn to Psalms 92 and listen to what David has to say. And actually, this is a declaration and this is also a promise. This is a promise of God. So as we read this scripture this morning, I want you to look at it differently. I want you to look at it as God speaking directly to you as a promise. All right. David says in Psalm 92, verse 12, he says, the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. Remember, this is a promise to you. He shall grow. You shall grow. You could even say, I will grow like a cedar in Lebanon. I am planted in the house of the Lord. The scripture says, those who are planted in the house of the Lord, you, shall, you should make that a declaration to yourself. I am planted in the house of the Lord. Isaiah says, you are the planting of the Lord. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh. Come on. They shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. It's for a purpose. And you say it, he is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Just listen to what, how the message version puts this. The message version puts it this way. My ears are filled with the sound of promise. This is a promise. Good people will prosper like palm trees. Does that mean that you do a lot of good things? No, God makes you righteous. This doesn't mean good people who do good things because uh, we know that there is no good, none good, no, not one. But this means that God has imputed righteousness into you. So if you belong to God, you will prosper like palm trees. You will grow tall like cedars in Lebanon, transplanted to God's courtyard. Come on. The Bible says they'll grow tall in the presence of God. Life. And that simply means to stand up tall, graceful, and beautiful. That's what that word means. Think of yourself that way. Most of you don't think of yourself that way. But if you have the Holy Spirit of God in you, that's how God sees you. He sees you standing up tall. He sees you graceful. He sees you beautiful. It says, and green, virile, still in old age. Such witnesses to upright God, my mountain, my huge holy mountain. So God wants you to grow. That is a promise of God to you, that if you follow his plan, you will absolutely grow. All you have to do is believe and follow him. But this emotion, this emotion of anger, we have to recognize the power of it. We cannot just uh, put it off on the side and say, it's no big deal. That's just who I am. I grew up this way. I grew up in this culture. I grew up on that side of the tracks. That's how my father was. That's how my family is. No, we cannot use those excuses because that's what your enemy wants you to do. If you use those excuses for this particular emotion, it will negatively affect God's promise to you. God's promise to you. All right, we have to recognize it and we have to know it. Listen, listen how it talks about Moses in Exodus 32, how it affects you. 
It says, so it was, as soon as he came near the camp, you remember this, Moses went up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, come on, and then the people hadn't heard from him for a while, you know the story, and they put all their gold in a pot, and they made a golden calf, this is where that comes from, Exodus 32, it says he came down, he saw the calf and the dancing around the calf, so Moses' anger became hot. And he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. So he was angry. He broke the Ten Commandments. <laughs> Can you imagine that? I mean, he probably didn't understand the impact of that, but he broke the first draft of the Ten Commandments because of his anger. Proverbs 27 says, wrath is cruel and anger is a torrent. But who is able to stand before jealousy? Anger is cruel and it doesn't stop. Ecclesiastes 7, 9 says, do not hasten your spirit to anger. It's a warning for anger rests in the bosom of fools. This is scripture. Don't take it personal from me. This is God talking to you. Anger rests in the bosom of fools. Colossians 3, 8 says, but now you yourselves are to put off all these. Guess what the first one is? Anger. Put off all of these things so you have control. Put off anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. We're supposed to put off all of those things. And so this unrighteous anger absolutely hinders us. Now, let me just say this. Are there things to be angry about? Absolutely. Are there things that should motivate us to want to bring change? Absolutely. But the enemy will use anger unrighteously for us. He will, he, will, he will make it boil up within us and cause us to do more damage than good. And the first thing we have to do is recognize anger. Recognize it. Listen, I want to tell you, this is, you know, I, I, I'm not your therapist. I know that this morning. I'm just preaching the word of God. You know, I'm not, I'm not a counselor. Uh, I'm not any of those things. Uh, but you have to know the signs of anger, okay? Would you say any of these things? Anger comes over me more frequently than I would like, huh? Come on. I nurture critical thoughts quite easily and get irritated with people. Is there something that just happens quickly and it causes you to get irritated? I, when I am displeased with someone, I shut down any communication or withdraw. Mm -hmm. Experience that, come on. I'll be, I'll be transparent. Come on. I feel inwardly annoyed when family and friends don't comprehend my needs. Don't you understand? Why do I have to tell you everything? You ever felt like that? I feel frustrated and angry when I see someone else having fewer struggles than I do. You know, why is it always a struggle for me? And it seems like things come easily for that person. They do things to mess up and still come out smelling like roses. You ever known somebody like that? Come on. Sometimes I walk in another direction to avoid seeing someone I don't like. Don't want to confront it. When discussing a controversial topic, come on, do I need to say anything else? My tone of voice is likely to become persuasive and angry. Come on. When I talk about my irritations, I really don't want to hear any opposing point of view. I don't want to hear it. I don't easily forget when someone does me wrong. What about that one? Come on, think about that this morning. Think about it. When someone confronts me from a misinformed position, I'm thinking of my rebuttal as that person speaks before they even finish. 
I'm already thinking about what I'm going to say. I don't want, what you're saying is I don't care what you have to say. I'm so angry. You're going to hear me. Come on. I can be quite aggressive in my business pursuit or even when playing a game just for fun. You, you get overly aggressive. You're way too competitive. Come on. When someone openly speaks ill of me, my natural response is to think of how I can defend myself and get back at them. Ever felt like that? Come on, I'm sure most, most of us would probably deal with that. Someone says something about you and you're thinking, how can I get them back? What can I say? Uh, you know, what, what can I say to get them back, right? Sometimes when I'm angry, I, I slanderously talk about a person not really caring how it may harm them or their reputation. You ever done something or said something that you regret? You go back, I wish I would have never said that. I wish I would have never said that. I may act kindly on the outside when feeling anger on the inside. It just means you're not dealing with it. When someone is clearly annoyed with me, I too easily jump into the conflict, jump right in the midst of it. Now, listen, in Matthew, uh, I believe in in Matthew, the Bible, Jesus said in the Beatitudes, you know where that is in chapter five, Jesus said this. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, not the peacekeepers, the peacemakers. Do you know that you are called to make peace, not just keep peace? Come on. Have you ever felt like this? At times I struggle with moods of depression, discouragement, and anger. And also, when you're in a position of authority, you speak too harshly. Too, you have to prove to everybody that you're the one who knows what's going on. Come on. Are you ever, you ever been like that? You ever been like that? These are signs that anger could go in the wrong direction. Now, of course, it's true that there is a godly anger. There is a righteous anger. The anger of the Lord has stirred up at times. But it's how that anger is used. If we allow God to use it, it will be used for his glory, just like any other emotion. But if we use the anger for our benefit in the way that we feel we should use the anger, it will be to the detriment, not only of our witness, but to us. And I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. So anger can benefit in some cases. As I said, God, uh, you know, he, the Old Testament mentions anger 450 times. 375 of those were really a healthy, godly anger. It, it, those are times where God in his perfect righteousness rose up to right or wrong. And so we know that wrongs need to be made right. We understand that. But anger should motivate you to change and to influence, not to tear down. Not to, it should not corrupt you, but that's what we allow us to do. And that is an unrighteous anger. Come on. You contrast this unrighteous anger with a righteous anger. This unrighteous anger, it's rooted in a carnal nature. That's where it comes from. It's not a godly anger is what we're talking about. This anger is rooted in selfishness. Come on. And also a lack of belief in, gen, in the genuine sovereignty of God. That's what you're saying. You don't believe that God is sovereign. I have to say something. I have to take care of the situation in my way, not the way that God would tell me to. That's what we're saying, right? When we have this ungodly, unbiblical anger. You see, the biblical definition of anger in the, in the Old Testament, it talks about how anger means that you just, you, you, you get, you snort even. That's what one of the words, one of the Hebrew words means. You burn with emotion. You boil over. But did you know in the 
New Testament. The Greek word for anger, thumos, this is what that word speaks to. It's interesting to me. It speaks to a more abiding condition of the mind. Think about that for a moment. It speaks to a more abiding condition of the mind. Frequently something that's been thought of and mulled over. It means it boils up. You know, there's that type of unrighteous anger that you just snap and you do something and you regret it. And then, but a lot of times this Greek word thumos speaks to an anger that just you allow to boil up. And listen, if, if it is an abiding condition of the mind, that means that it is something just like every other thought. We might not be able to control it coming into us, but we can certainly control what we do with it. That's important. I'm going to say that again. Like every other thought, if anger is an abiding condition of the mind, that means that just like every other thought, we may not be able to control the initial thought. We might not be able to control the initial uh, thing, that, that anger that comes to us, but we can control what we are doing with the anger. And that's the important thing. Here, let me, let me give you some more root causes of anger, of unrighteous anger. Not righteous, but here's, here's some root causes of this unrighteous anger, okay? So, and scripture speaks to all of these root causes, okay? I'll put up a chart here for you. This root causes of anger, first of all, greed, right? Uh, you know, you, all you're thinking about is what I don't have. Proverbs 28, 25 says, he who is of a proud heart stirs up strife. You just have to have more. You're never satisfied, right? That causes anger, which leads to jealousy. Jealousy is a big one. Proverbs 6, 34 says, for jealousy is a husband's fury. Therefore, he will not spare in the day of vengeance. Jealousy will cause you to do things and you don't care and you can't be stopped. Jealousy is a bad thing. Hatred, obviously, right? Talking about what other people's, what other people are, okay? Hatred stirs up strife, Proverbs 10, 12. But love, love covers all sins, right? Hatred just stirs it up. What about envy? Envy's a bad one, right? Envy's a lot like jealousy, but it's what others have, not just what they do. It's what they have. We're jealous of what they have. Come on. And, and envy, Proverbs 24, uh, you know, 24.1 says, don't be envious of an evil man, nor desire to be with them. Don't be envious of those who have things that they got them in an evil way. What about gossip? Proverbs 18.8, the words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles. <laughs> they go down into the innermost body. That just means that our ears, our flesh loves to hear gossip, but it speaks to what other people represent. And if you're gossiping, it speaks to what you represent. And it's not God. I can tell you that. It's not God. Criticism. Ah, <laughs> what I must do to feel exalted. That's what happens when you criticize. It's, it's really um, speaks to something that you lack in you, criticism of others, right? Proverbs 22.10 says, cast out the scoffer and contention will leave. Yes, strife and reproach will cease. Cast them out. And then we know this one. We know pride. And we're, we're, we're Christians, we're talking about God, angry at God for my life, where I am in life, what's happened to me, the cards I've been dealt. 
And we know Proverbs 13.10 says, by pride comes nothing but strife, but with the well-advised is wisdom, is wisdom. Come on. So there are biblical consequences to this anger. There's consequences to it. Let me just throw out there, you know how I am with these points. Let me throw out there eight points real quick, eight consequences of anger. All right, eight things. First of all, it, it's, it, it causes unnecessary and costly mistakes for you, right? I mean, the Bible says he is slow to wrath, has great understanding, okay? But he who is impulsive exalts folly. Think about that. Proverbs 14, 29. And then secondly, it gives the devil a foothold, a mighty foothold, a, a control. You know Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, be angry, sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give, come on, finish it, place to, you know it, to the devil. Don't give him place. And anger gives place to the devil. Unrighteous anger, that's what it does. Unrighteous anger is a hindrance in our prayer life. 1 Timothy 2.8 says, I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. Now watch what it says. This is 1 Timothy 2.8. Without wrath and doubting. Interesting how, how God, through Paul, told Timothy, wrath and doubting go in the same sentence. Lift up holy hands without wrath and without doubting. The fourth thing there is forfeiting of taking leadership, in, especially in the church. It hinders your leadership. Proverbs 15, 18 says, a wrathful man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger allays contention. Another version puts it this way. A hot-tempered man stirs up dissension, but a patient man calms a quarrel. The only thing you get, uh, the only way you get something done in a lot of cases is to have a clear head, right? A clear head. It brings a life filled with strife and contention, number five. And then number six, a slow destruction of your home, your marriage, your family. Listen to Proverbs eleven twenty nine. He who troubles his own house, watch this now, will inherit the wind. That's what you get for troubling your own house. You don't prove how great you are. You don't prove that you're the man of the house or the woman of the house. You don't prove any of those things. All you do is inherit the wind, right? When you let ungodly anger control you. And then also a life filled with contentious calamity, just like a life filled with strife and contention, right? Proverbs 16, 32, he who is slow to anger, watch this, is better than the mighty. He who rules his own spirit is better than he who takes a city. In other words, it's better to be slow-tempered than to be famous. It's better to have self-control than to control an army. That's what the Bible says. And lastly on these, it also can bring a loss of friendships. Proverbs 22, 24 to 25 says, make no friendship with an angry man. And with a furious man, do not go, lest you learn his ways and watch, set a snare for your soul. So by being angry, you set a snare for your own soul. This is what you do. Now, again, I want to keep reiterating 
that it, there is a godly anger. But if you're not in touch with God, if you're not doing your devotions, if you're not reading your Bible, if you don't have an active prayer life, there is no way that you can be sure that your anger is godly because you're not in touch with the one who can control that emotion. All right. If you're off by yourself, that's exactly what you're going to get. <laughs> you're going to get your own anger that comes up out of the flesh. There are a lot of things that we uh, should uh, that should move us for change, especially right now, because wrongs must be righted. Uh, if if one person is wronged, Martin Luther King Jr. said it. All are wronged. Come on. He didn't say it exactly that way, but that's what he was saying. Right. It affects all of us. And so we, but we have to go to God first. Lord, what would you have me do? We can't just go strike the rock because that's what we want to do. God killed Moses because he did that, right? The people were going over into the promised land and Moses was angry with the people. You don't think God was angry with the people, but God knew how he wanted to deal with it. And instead of Moses consulting God, how will I deal with this rebellious people? He just struck the rock. And he never saw the promised land. Let God lead you in your anger. Let God lead you. And so lastly, just to wrap up here, how, how, do, we, how do we control this anger? All right, you know how I am with these points. Let me just give you three things very quickly. This is how we can control unhealthy, unrighteous anger, right? First of all, we have to face the problem with faith. We have to go to God first. Avoid the temptation to rationalize your anger. That's what I was talking about earlier. Well, I'm just this way. This is how I was born. This is my culture. We can't rationalize our anger. If you're angry, just say it. I'm just angry. But you got to go to God. Go to God and assume full responsibility for who you are. Now, I'm going to say something. You might not like it. But at some point, it's not your mother's fault. At some point, it's not your dad's fault or your brother. At some point, it's not uh, the fault of the color of your skin. At some point, it's not all of those things. At some point, we must have faith in God because God has no respect of a person, though man does. Man discriminates. Man is prejudiced. Man does all of those things, but God does not. That's why we have to go to him first. Deep-seated anger is not an anger which can be attributed to an event in the immediate past. Instead, it's, this deep-rooted anger is chronic. It's a smoldering kind of rage, which has been around long enough to develop into bitterness. And I'm hoping you're understanding the difference in righteous anger and unrighteous anger. There's a thing that should start, there should be a burden in us for change. Jesus was all about social change, okay? He was all about social justice. Look at him. Jesus, uh, he, he never turned away the poor. He never turned away the unlearned. Uh, in fact, he went to them first. So Jesus is all about that. But it's how we use our anger. We have to let God use the anger through us to produce change. If God, uh, if we allow him to do it, change will come. One of the reasons that change has not come is because we're not allowing God to, uh, to, to guide our anger. If my people, which are called by my name, would first, first seek my face. Let's seek his face. Face the problem with faith. And then fill your mind with new thoughts. 
You know Romans 12 too. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. That means from the inside out by the renewing of your mind that what you may prove what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. That's the second thing there. And then lastly, forgive those who have hurt and abused unknowingly and knowingly. Matthew 6, 12 to 15 says, uh, forgive us our debts. You know it. It's Lord's, what we call the Lord's prayer. As we forgive our debtors, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Okay. Ephesians 4.32, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. And then lastly, Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so also you must do.